Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark, or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. One of the most common experiences um, that people have with Christianity that turns them off Christianity is because they've had a bad experience with someone who claimed to be a Christian but didn't act like a Christian at all, leaving them very disappointed. Remember um, when I used to have a group of Christian friends and a non-Christian friend of mine used to hang out with us until he said, actually, I find your Christian friends gossip more than my non-Christian friends and he stopped hanging out with them. For example, Helen, a law student, said, I have to doubt any religion that has so many fanatics and hypocrites. There are so many people who are not religious at all, who are more kind and even more moral than many of the Christians I know. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? Well, Gandhi famously said, give me your Christ, but keep your Christian. How would you respond to someone who said something like this? Well, here are four ways you could respond to this question. It's not just religious people that are the problem. Last century, atheism was responsible for more murder than any other religion. Secondly, Christians have actually been at the forefront of bringing things like justice in our society. Think of William Wilberforce helping abolish the slave trade. Think of Martin Luther King, a Christian who fought to end the oppression of black people using the Bible. Thirdly, Christianity isn't about being a good person, but acknowledging that you're not a good person. There are many flaws in the character of the average Christian. We can only have a relationship with God by sheer grace. The church is filled with immature and broken people who still have a long way to go. That includes Spark. You can think about Spark as a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And fourthly, Jesus himself rebuked religious hypocrites stronger than any other group of people. Now, this term at Spark, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus criticizes not people who aren't religious, but the religious hypocrites. And that's what we see in our passage today. Earlier in chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus calls these religious leaders hypocrites. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. And so in chapter 6, verse 8, Jesus says, do not be like those religious leaders. And then we get to chapter 7, where Jesus continues to warn his disciples not to be like those hypocrites. And the point he wants to make is, Sin distorts how we see ourselves and others. Sin distorts how we see ourselves and others. Have a look with me at verse 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, what does Jesus mean by not judging others? Well, let's begin by what it can't mean. It can't mean that we're always to turn a blind eye to sin because... Sin is an attitude of rebellion towards God. 
that uh, leads people away from God. And this judgmentalism towards others um, is really is part of what sin is. In verse 5, Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, the speck is some form of sin that we're to help people remove. So it can't mean that we're not to point out sin from time to time to help people. That's what it can't mean. So what does it mean? Do not judge. Jesus is teaching us we're not to be harsh, condemning judges of other people who love going around finding faults in others and pointing them out. You've probably met people like this. They tend to be the ones who gossip about others and they try to bring others down to feel better about themselves. Such people often think the worst of people and their motives and they're very ungenerous towards other people's mistakes. Jesus speaks of such people in Luke 18 verse 9 as those who are confident in their own righteousness and who look down on everyone else. When we do this, we're failing to remember that God is our judge. Paul said, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. The point Paul is making is we're not God. You and I cannot see into someone else's heart to see their motives and judge their motives. To judge others is to try and play God. Jesus then says in verse 1 of chapter 7, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. We're all disqualified as judges because we too are all sinners. When we judge others, we forget that we deserve the same, if not worse, judgment. And if we go around judging other people, then we may place ourselves under the same judgment of God as one who has forgotten God's grace and mercy towards them. Who of us could bear having all of our secrets played on the projector here at Spark for everyone here to watch? In that moment, we wouldn't dream of judging anyone else. We would all feel ashamed and we would want mercy. And that's what we have received from Jesus, unless we have forgotten this. And then Jesus uses a ridiculous illustration to point out how silly it is to be a judger of others in verse 3. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? It's ridiculous. Imagine how absurd it would be to look at someone walking around, similar to this, with thick roof beams protruding out of your eyes, completely unaware. And imagine they came up to you and said, hi, I'm a surgeon and I'm here to remove that speck of dirt from your eye. The beam would be smashing you in the face and they'd be completely unaware of it. I mean, it's funny when you think about it, but that's us, Jesus says, when we pretend we don't have any faults while looking down on other people and criticizing them. The point Jesus is making is that we have a natural tendency to overlook our own shortcomings whilst having unrealistically high expectations of others. In 2003, Shvam Akraya, I'll probably mispronounce that, stole Dr. Chittal's identity and obtained Australian citizenship and a job working as a junior doctor. He worked as a doctor for 11 years with no medical training or qualifications at all. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want someone like that doing surgery on me. 
Neither would we want a harsh, judgmental person helping us with our sin, would we? So we're not to be harsh, judgmental people. And we're not to be self-excusing hypocrites. In verse 6, Jesus calls people act like this hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who wears a mask, pretending to be someone that they're not. They are blind because they excuse and minimize their own sin whilst condemning others. It's hypocritical to call out sin in someone else if you haven't first taken your own sin seriously. So we've seen we're not to be condemning judges and we're not to be self-excusing hypocrites. Instead, we are to be the loving brother in this passage. Verse 5 says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If we have the attitude of a brother or sister, we will have concern for our brother or sister's sin. But not because we want to appear better than them, but because just like a speck of dust in someone's eye can irritate and make the problem worse, our sin doesn't belong in us. And the longer it's there, the more damage it can do to us. And so our goal is to bring Christians back from from wandering away from God in their sin. We want to help them because sin draws us away from God. If someone was standing in front of a bus or drifting out at sea, of course we would want to do something about it. It would be unloving to stand there and wave them goodbye. Just as Christ brought us back to himself through his death on the cross when we were wandering away, he didn't stop and wave, he actually did something about it. But we need to be careful in how we do this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, which means sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So instead of being harsh and judgmental, we should be those who recognize our own shortcomings and who humbly and gently seek to practically help others who are struggling. And when we do this, we're actually being the loving brother that fulfills verse 12 seeking to love our brother as we would want them to love us. The command to judge not is not a command from Jesus to be blind, but rather to be generous to others because sin blinds us. And this leads me to point two, the Bible helps us to see ourselves clearly so we can help others. We quite literally cannot see um, clearly unless we have been trained to see the log that is in our own eye. But it's not possible for us to see what is in our eye because we, the eye cannot see itself, right? Have you ever seen some clothes in a store and thought, wow, I reckon I would look pretty good in those clothes. And then you try them on and you look in the mirror and all of a sudden you realize, I look horrible in these clothes. Um, well, that's what the Bible helps us to do for ourselves. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13 says, for the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him to whom we must all give account. So the Bible is like a mirror. It shows us a perfect, how perfect God is in the person of Jesus, and it functions like a mirror, showing us our true state, our tr- what our heart is like. It reveals our motives. Only once you've been honest with yourself and confessed your sin to God and to other Christians and removed the log from your own eye can you begin to gently take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. If Christians don't have 
concern to warn their brothers or sisters about the danger of their sin and plead with them to return to Jesus who will. Tolerance and acceptance will not save a single soul. They communicate sin is no big deal. Sin is serious. Because of our sin, sinners won't naturally want to hear God's word. So that brings me to my last point. We need God's help to receive God's word. In verse 7 to 11, Jesus says, we need to pray. Now, what is the good gift Jesus promises that God will give us in verse 11? Have you thought about that? Well, Jesus says, if our sinful earthly fathers know how to give us good gifts, then how much more will our perfect heavenly father know how to give us the best gifts that we need? In other words, God doesn't answer every prayer with a yes. He only gives us what's good for us and others eternally. In the Luke verse of this same passage, the good gift, Jesus says, is the Holy Spirit. This helps us to make sense of why Jesus is asking about prayer here. If we fail to see ourselves and others clearly because of our sin, and if other people fail to appreciate the good news of Jesus because of their sin, which is what six, verse 6 is about, then people won't naturally want to listen to God's word, receive it and understand it. And the only thing that can help people to see their sin and receive the good news of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. John 3.27 says, A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. In John 14.17, the Spirit of truth is, is um, what the Holy Spirit is described as. And because he is um, like a lighthouse, he shines light onto the rocky cliffs of our own sin and brings us to see our need for Jesus, and so we can turn to him in forgiveness, and that he might give us the power to put sin to death. Or to put it in another way, our sin, our desire to rule our own lives, distorts how we think. Our sin is like a pair of colored glasses that prevents us from seeing our sin and Jesus accurately. And the Holy Spirit is like putting on a new pair of glasses that doesn't have the log in them, that helps us to see sin and Jesus for who they really are. Yes, we live in a world full of darkness, but God has not left us in the dark. So we need to pray persistently, asking, Jesus says, seeking, knocking for the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, I want to remind you, only by God's help can we kneel before God as a sinner in need of help. So pray that God's Spirit might help you to see the free gift of salvation through Jesus for what it really is, a pearl of great price. And if you are a Christian, I think we need to pray that God's Spirit might help us to act in love towards our Christian brothers and sisters, possibly even people here at Spark, rather than with a harsh condemning spirit. And consider how might you, you show the same generosity and love that God has showed you towards others. You can do this by meeting up with them and warning them of the danger of their sin, sharing with them how you have fallen in various areas because of sin. And once you've done that, you can offer them the same forgiveness that Jesus has shown you, not holding a grudge against them, but being kind and genuinely interested in their life. And in fact, this willingness to not only point out sin, but to forgive and to love and care creates a space for the person who's struggling with sin to admit their fault, ask for forgiveness, and start to look for God, to God to change. And all the while we can do this, trusting our loving Heavenly Father that he loves to answer our prayers. I want to share with you to close a story of something that happened this week. Pip and I 
we actually traveled um, to Canberra to meet up with someone who's close to us because they've actually, um, there's some sin in their life that has kind of ruined their life. And so we, we um, took the initiative to go and meet up with them. We drove all the way to Canberra to go there overnight to have this conversation with them. Um, and as we did this, we, we began by saying, we, we love you, we care for you, and we care for your relationship with God. Um, and as we did this, I was very encouraged, particularly by Pip, because what did she do? She knew the Bible is what we need to help us to see ourselves clearly in others. So she, she opened the Bible. She read from Colossians 3 that lists out all the, the things that um, don't belong to being a Christian. But then she also read out the part that says, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And she said, I, I do think you, you need to repent and turn back to God, but I love you and I'm, I'm here. I'm willing to forgive you. Um, and we now pray. We now pray that God might change that person's heart and bring them back from wandering away in sin. And so let's pray that we can all do the same kind of things for those people that we love and who we want to point back to Jesus.